You are listening to The Vet Podcast, presented by veterinarian Dr. Brian Greger from New Zealand and featuring an international team of animal health professionals. Join us as we discuss pet health issues from around the world. Well, we're back. It's been almost a year since the last Vet Podcast. We are still sponsor-free. That is code for if you have an animal-related business and want exposure, contact us. We are also looking for new correspondents, so if you are a veterinary professional, nurse or vet, message us. Either email vetpodcast at gmail.com or through the Vet Podcast Facebook page. In this episode, we look at something right under our noses, cat's whiskers. We discuss the strain of being an after-hours vet, and we have a better work story. If you ask a child to draw a picture of a cat, the one thing you can guarantee is that it will be drawn with whiskers. It is virtually impossible to visualise a cat without whiskers, just as it is impossible to think of an elephant without a trunk. Whiskers are much more than just a cat fashion statement though. They are an amazingly efficient sensory apparatus. At first glance, whiskers, or vibrissae as they are correctly known, really just look like large hairs, but this is pretty well where the similarity ends. If you look closely, the first thing you may notice is that the whiskers are thicker and stiffer than normal hairs. The hairs themselves contain no nerves, but you will notice that the base of the hairs sit in an area that almost appears swollen. This consists of modified hair follicles that contain a capsule of blood and a large number of nerve endings. These nerve endings have been found to stimulate an area of the brain that gives an almost three-dimensional view of the surroundings. The hairs also go into the skin about three times further than normal hairs. Adding to the thickness of the skin at the base of the whiskers are highly developed sheaths of muscles. These give the whiskers the ability to move forward and back an ability that normal hairs don't have. If you look closely at your cat, you will notice not only whiskers at the side of the mouth, but also on the cheeks, above the eyelids, and on the wrists of the forelegs. These different areas of whiskers have the ability to move independently. These factors all give the whiskers the ability to be highly sensitive organs. Not just with the ability to feel physical objects, but also able to detect slight changes in ear movement. So, what do cats use their whiskers for? As an inquisitive youngster, I remember asking my mum exactly what we are discussing here. Why do cats have whiskers? Her answer to me was that the whiskers are as wide as the widest part of the cat's body and let him know whether or not he can fit through a hole. Now, it turns out that her answer was more or less correct. Cat whiskers, in most breeds, are about the width of the widest part of the body, and yes, one of their functions is exactly as mum suggested. Cats use their whiskers for hunting, especially at night time. When a cat cannot see its prey, it surrounds the prey with its whiskers, almost like a basket, and in doing so can establish the exact position and the orientation of its prey. There is also some evidence that at nights cats can negotiate objects by detecting slight ear movements around the objects without actually touching them. It is also suggested that cats use their whiskers for communication. Again, take a close look at your cat's whiskers. Whiskers pulled tightly back on the face indicate an angry cat. 
When they are pointing slightly forward and down from the face, the cat is relaxed and happy, and when hunting or feeling aggressive, the whiskers point forward and are tense. Another piece of advice I can remember my mother giving me was not to cut a cat's whiskers, because if I did, they would not grow back again. I am not sure whether she caught me in the act after the event, or whether she just had an inkling. Anyway, mum had the right sentiment, but unfortunately was factually incorrect. Although you should never cut a cat's whiskers off purposefully, this would be similar to having a blindfold placed over your eyes. Whiskers grow back just as normal hairs do. Now, a practical consideration relating to the cat's whiskers is the size of your cat's feeding bowl. Make sure you supply your cat with a good wide bowl. And one final point about cat's whiskers. Finding a cat's whisker is supposed to bring good luck, just as it is finding a four-leaf clover. I will let you be the judge of that. If you ask a veterinarian to list the three things that stress them the most about being a vet, I think you would find that being on call would be in everybody's list. Most large metropolitan areas now have specialist after-hours or emergency clinics supplying the out-of-hours veterinary cover, but there is still a large number of us that have to supply these services from our clinics. When I first qualified, I was employed as a sole veterinarian in a mixed veterinary practice, having to supply after-hours cover 24-7 every day for up to two years, until another veterinarian started to share the duty with me. I have to admit that this was so, so hard. Luckily, now I am on a much less onerous roster, only having to do an after-hours weekend shift three to four times a year and cover a weeknight perhaps once every two and a half weeks. Now, if you are a veterinarian, I am sure you will relate to the following points, and if you are an animal owner, perhaps this may explain why the vet you call out after-hours appears a little strung out. Personally, it isn't the veterinary work that gets me. I actually quite enjoy the buzz of treating emergencies. In fact, what is even better is that I can work at the clinic only having to focus on my trained job as a veterinarian and not have the other distractions of running a business to consider. What does get me though are the limitations being on call puts on us. Firstly, there are the limitations placed on you as to what you can do and where you can go. Personally, if I'm on call, I don't want to be any more than 15 minutes from the clinic, and there has to be mobile phone coverage, which, in the area we live, can be an issue. You have to be prepared to drop whatever you are doing and head to the clinic, so you are severely limited to the tasks you can undertake at home. Think about the limitations. You aren't left with too much more than reading a book. It is also hard on the family. Will I be home for dinner? Will I get called away after visitors have arrived? No thank you, I can't have a wine with dinner, I may have to go back to work. Even more frustrating is not being able to go to the cinema or restaurant for fear of being called away. If we go out, often we take two cars in case I get called out. Something I find personally is that I don't sleep that well when I'm on call. There is always one ear expecting the phone to ring. And it usually does just as you are falling asleep. In most practices, and we are no different... If you are on call for the night, you still have to rock up bright-eyed and bushy-tailed the next morning for your normal clinic duties, even if you have spent most of the previous night working. An issue mentioned by some vets is safety, especially for female vets. 
often they are expected to head down to the clinic in the middle of the night, not really knowing who they are meeting. I know some clinics do have procedures in place to minimise the risk here. After hours, it is unusual to have the full clinical team present. There will be a vet and hopefully a nurse will be rostered too, but if the case turns out to be an emergency surgery, the backup usually present during the day won't be there, from an extra nurse holding things to the collegial backup from another, often more experienced veterinarian. And then there's the idiot factor. We see it time and time again. An owner will present with an animal that is very, very sick on the weekend. When you get the history, often they have been sick all week, but the owner hoped they would get better by themselves, or I didn't have the money to bring it in. This brings us to an interesting point. Have you ever tried to get a plumber on a Sunday afternoon? Firstly, they are likely to tell you that they are unavailable, or if they do come, you will have to remortgage the house to pay for them. Why then do people complain about paying an after-hours charge to see the vet? Yes, in most countries we are obliged to see the animal, if not legally, at least morally. No vet wants to see an animal suffering. To offer the service, we put our lives on hold, we deprive ourselves of sleep, and we stress about the what-ifs. Please don't take this as a reason not to see your vet after hours. We would much rather see a really sick animal at 2 in the morning than undertake a post-mortem at 9. But if your vet looks a little bit frazzled, hopefully you can understand why. Being a veterinarian can be quite a stressful profession, but sometimes just really weird stuff happens. To celebrate this, we have got a section now in the vet podcast which we've simply called Better Work Stories. So this situation happened a number of years ago. It was a fairly busy evening consult period and one of my nursing staff came up to me and she said Mr Smith's on the phone just wanting to know whether we have got his blood results yet and she handed me a pile of results. I flicked through them and there was a result there for Mr Smith. I had a look at them, took a deep breath and picked up the phone. So the, the conversation went something sort of like this. It was, oh, Mr. Smith, I've had a look at the blood results and to be truthful, they don't actually look particularly good. There was a bit of a grunt on the other end of the line. Look, I'll be truthful with you, I continued. The blood results indicate that we have got severe kidney failure, which unfortunately we have no permanent cure for. At the most, we can extend life for a few weeks, but honestly, I really think that we should be considering euthanasia. I was hit by a wall of silence, and then a weak voice came back. Can you do that? Yes, and in this case, I really think it is the best course of action, as kidney failure is a really miserable disease. But look, come down to the clinic and we can discuss it tomorrow. So, are you really sure of the diagnosis? Unfortunately, there is no doubt. Look, come down and we can go into it in more detail tomorrow. I'm sorry, he said. It's this whole euthanasia thing. I'll have to talk to my wife and my family. I'm afraid it's something that we have just never considered before. I mean, it's an enormous decision to make. To be truthful, I'm actually amazed that you can make this diagnosis just on a single test for cholesterol. I beg your pardon, I replied, starting to get a little bit confused. You took a blood sample from me earlier in the week, just to check my cholesterol. This is the doctor's surgery, isn't it? You have been listening to The Vet Podcast. You can find us on Facebook. 
the Vet Podcast app in Play Store, iTunes, Google Play, or bookmark us in your favourite podcast player. To contact us, message through Facebook or email vetpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you.